but she talked about how she had finally decided after she had reached, I think it was like a quarter of a million followers, she was going to send her basically influencer resume to the top influencer agencies. And she said that she woke up the next morning and her inbox was full of emails from these companies saying, just go onto our site, pick five things that we'll ship them to you. Go here and we'll send you something for free. Um, do this and we'll send this to you for free. And she was like, this is my dream. And the lawyer in me just crumbled. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, what is going on? Hi, I'm Adam Chatterley, and this is the Beauty Business Podcast. It's a podcast for people who run a beauty business. Now, if you're a beauty or wellness business owner and you'd like to have more prospects, more leads, and more clients than you know what to do with, if you'd like to be making more money, all while having more fun than you think should be legal, then you're in the right place. Now, whether you're just starting out or if you've been in the industry for years, we're going to be giving you the lowdown on both new and trusted tools, strategies, and systems, along with just the right amount of inspiration and philosophization to help you start having more fun, making more impact, and more importantly, making more money in your beauty business. Now, with over 750,000 downloads, along with hundreds of five-star ratings and reviews worldwide, this is the number one podcast specifically for independent beauty business owners. Now, if you want to check out all the episodes, all the guides, downloads, links, and giveaways, just head to beautybusinesspodcast.com. Today, we're talking about a subject that is often discussed in groups and on forums in our industry, but we've never covered it on the show before, and you rarely get actual factual answers about it. Yeah, we're going legal and talking all about things like, should you trademark your treatments, how to deal with business copycats the right way, and also the pitfalls of working with influencers. Now, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to make sure that you've taken the opportunity to grab yourself a copy of my incredibly popular, entirely free and very useful ebook. It's called The Seven Day Booking Boost, and that's exactly what it is. Three simple things that if followed for seven days will deliver a huge change in your booking numbers. Now, it's a brand new edition. It's extremely beautiful, but most importantly, it's specifically written for beauty and wellness business owners and operators just like you. Now, it outlines a very simple and easy and straightforward three-step strategy that will take you just 15 minutes a day, ideally the first 15 minutes of your day, to almost guarantee a massive increase in your reach, an increase in your connection, and simply an amplification of all your marketing efforts. Now, this in turn will bring you more bookings, more clients, and naturally, along with all that, more money too. Now, it forms the fundamentals of what I teach to all my coaching clients, and I'd like to share it with you. It's been downloaded by thousands and thousands of people all over the world, and we've recently updated it so it's even easier to use. So if you want a very short, effective strategy and a checklist that's full of pleasure and joy, then go to beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash boost, or click the link in the episode description and download your copy with my compliments today. Hello, and welcome to the show. You're slightly less than average height, slightly graying, partially handsome host Adam Chatterley here. Now, I'm excited. After 150 episodes of the show, it's rare to cover brand new topics. And today, I'm genuinely honored and very excited to introduce you to Sierra and Olivia, real-life, actual lawyers, and I have to say, pretty cool ones too. Now, they've decided to specialize in the beauty and wellness industry to bring their expertise to the many overlooked areas of running a successful beauty business. And that's why I'm 
very pleased to have them on the show with me today. Now, because we're doing something certainly I've never seen before and taking actual legal stuff and talking about it based on questions from you wonderful listeners, Sierra and Olivia have asked me to read this short disclaimer before we get started, just to cover what we're talking about on the show today. Ready? Okay, so please understand and remember that nothing Olivia and Sierra says is intended as legal advice. They may reference some brands or companies in our conversation as examples, but none of those are intended as either an endorsement or an indictment. Whilst our discussion may reference other countries and jurisdictions, Olivia and Sierra are only licensed in the United States. Specifically, Sierra is licensed in the states of California and Illinois, and Olivia is licensed in the state of Indiana. We wanted to make this clear, even if our discussion includes other countries and jurisdictions. Okay, so now that's clear. If you've ever wondered if you should trademark the name of your business and what protection that actually gives you, and then what to do if someone challenges you on it and how to go about this, then this episode is for you. And if you've ever been copycatted or have worried about being copycatted, someone pinching your treatment descriptions, your treatment ideas, your package ideas, offers, or even your articles or blog posts, then this is an episode you're going to want to listen to. And this was a particularly interesting one for me. If you've started working with or you're thinking about working with any sort of brand or influencer, or micro-influencer or local influencer with your business on social media, then you definitely need to listen because there are things that we talk about here that you've never even thought about would come up. Okay? So without further ado, I am very pleased to introduce you to Olivia and Sierra from Ties Law. Let's get legal. Really excited today to welcome to the show Olivia and Sierra from Ties Law. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Yeah, now this is, I'm really excited for this episode because certainly we've never done an episode like this before. I don't think I've heard an episode like this before. Um, obviously, we're talking very much about um, the legal side of things. You guys, obviously, are from a law firm. So, um, and, and the reason I wanted to talk to you, you reached out to me and I was fascinated because you've, um, as part of the actual forming of your law firm, have created it or created a part of it dedicated to working with beauty businesses. Can you tell me a bit more about why you made that decision? Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we work for a boutique, uh, law firm in the United States. Uh, I practice in California and Illinois, uh, Olivia's in Indiana, but our firm is, is based in California. And one of the things that I think makes us unique is we really focus on sort of what we call industry verticals, which are industries that we think really hit on a lot of areas of our, our, our practice areas and then things that we specialize in. And so, I know that during the pandemic, you know, Olivia and I both, I think, saw a rise in beauty businesses, wellness businesses, um, curating, emphasizing do-it-yourself products. You know, people can't go to the salon, people can't um, go get their makeup done, people can't go to the gym. And so you saw something that was already happening, certainly, but I felt like I was really seeing growth of these kind of businesses it's an interesting area that we're both super passionate about. You know, we're both, both as women lawyers and consumers, we consume a lot of these products. And so I think that we, we saw an opportunity to serve these industries that face issues all across our practice areas, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but that was, that was kind of the inspiration. Yeah. Love it. And uh, obviously, yeah, I work with a lot of independents. Um, and I guess when you're certainly when you're starting up and again, there's been a huge shift, like you say, in people, um, 
kind of creating their own products, marketing their own products. But I've noticed this huge shift from a lot of people either running a traditional salon with staff on a high street to kind of going smaller, working from home, obviously different working practices there. And a lot of people who previously worked as an employee in a, a salon or a spa started up on their own and kind of think about, well, I'll just do this. So there's a lot of new startups out there. There's a lot of changes. And I think with everything that comes about with starting a business, probably the legal side of things kind of gets forgotten about a little bit to start with. <laughs> um, so, you know, can you give us a bit of a, an overview of the, if it's possible, an overview of the the sort of the legal things that you possibly should be thinking about and the potential real world effects that it can have? Yeah, for sure. So this is Olivia. Um, and, you know, one thing that we like to emphasize, at least when we're working with businesses, is that we understand that sometimes the legal side of things can feel really overwhelming, right? You often get a lawyer involved only when something's gone wrong. Um, but you really need to think about getting a lawyer involved at the beginning. And I often refer to what I practice as happy law, only because my job is to help a business figure out how to protect the things that they've created, that they're passionate about. And, you know, you, you want to be able to get in early in that process. And I equate it to, um, you know, let's say you've got a favorite restaurant. You love a dish at this restaurant. You don't think about anything except for going to this restaurant and having this food. You go there, you sit down, and then it turns out they've taken it off the menu. And then you're devastated, right? Because that's the only thing that you've thought about. And often intellectual property law, which is what Sierra and I mainly focus on, is a little bit like that. Sometimes you get into the creative process, you get really excited, you just go ahead, you launch it. And then it turns out that somebody has the same name as you or the same you know, product um, development or the same company name. And then you feel you know, really upset. So what we want to try to do is help businesses and entrepreneurs think about issues and think about ways to protect this wonderful thing that they've created from the start, as opposed to coming in at the end when maybe something's gone wrong. So we want to help build that brand, right? Like we want to, we are here as a partner. We're here to help people build brands. And that's a lot of what we're doing in the beauty and wellness space. We are helping our clients and helping entrepreneurs build a brand. Yeah. And I think, and this is Sierra, I would just jump in, you know, Olivia does a lot of, we both do a lot of counseling. I also am a litigator, which means I do go to court. Um, I do deal with the problems once they already come up. But I think because of that, one of my favorite parts of working with companies, especially early companies that are starting out is exactly what Olivia said. It's sort of putting on my litigator's hat and thinking, what are problems that are going to come up down the road that we can prevent now? You know, and I, yes. we apparently love analogies here, both Olivia and I, but I always, I always think of it <laughs> as kind of, you know, I can imagine that going to talk to a lawyer at the beginning of creating your business is not that different than like going to a doctor. You know, no one wants to do it. You don't want to go and be told something's wrong. It can feel scary. It's going to maybe be expensive, you know? Um, and so our job, though, is to 
to do these sort of routine checks early so that we can catch anything that might be an issue so that you don't come come down the road with some major problem that causes you much more stress. And so in that way, even though it can feel scary or stressful to talk to a lawyer early, we hope that that's not that that's not the experience, you know, and that we can be part of of growing your business instead of coming in and and dealing with you know, unpleasant things later. And that's and that's really the case. It's like um I guess it's a little bit in, in the very nicest possible way. I mean, it's sort of like insurance. It's like um, not necessarily something you, you're going to fall in love with the idea of, but when you need it and it's there, you're much happier that you spent that money putting the insurance in place than having to deal with it afterwards. Definitely. Yeah, cool. absolutely. So, yeah. I really wanted to make this episode, since I knew you were coming on, I really wanted to make this episode as kind of focused and functional and useful as I could to the audience. So I kind of reached out to my groups and, and got some kind of general questions about, you know, if they could put some questions to a couple of lawyers like you guys, um, what kind of questions they would ask. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Great. Cool. So one of the questions um, that came in that's, that sort of was popular, I've kind of grouped into one, uh, could be classed as this. It was, how can I protect the treatments that I've created, specifically the names and the descriptions? I put a lot of time and effort into both creating and refining the treatments and also writing the compelling descriptions. On a number of occasions, other spas or salons have simply taken the entire treatment, changed the name and a few words in the description, and I've not known what to do. What kind of things can people do in that instance? Sure. And and that that's a great question because I think it serves as a jumping off point for exactly what we were just talking about. You know, early on in my business, how can I protect the various aspects of the business? The the question is, you know, about specific formulas or things like that, um, or the names of your products. And it's a great example of the various ways you can protect your business. Um, the answer, as a lot of lawyers will say, is it depends on what you want to protect, you know. So I think. I think working with a lawyer early on, you can set up a framework where you're protecting all the different aspects of your business using, you know, different types of intellectual property protection or other rights you may have. So in this example, you know, the, the question of protecting names and descriptions, for example, if you have a product Mm -hmm. name, um, you might consider trademarking the product name. If it's, if it's something that's really unique in addition to your business name, you may be able to get trademark protection. And, you know, I should mention, I'm, I'm of course mentioning the United States, but there are all yeah. sorts of intellectual property protections outside of the United States as well that you can work with, with lawyers there to, to figure out, um, you know, it, when it comes to formulas, that might be a different type of protection. So in the United States, for example, if this formula is novel, no one's ever done it before. You're combining things in a way that's not obvious and new. Um, under certain circumstances, you may meet requirements to get a U.S. patent um, to protect your invention. In other circumstances, you know maybe you don't meet the requirements for a patent, or maybe there are reasons you don't want to seek a patent, and instead you want some other sort of protection. If it's something you're keeping top secret and confidential, you've never disclosed how you make this product, the secret sauce of how it all comes together, maybe you can get trade secret protection. And as I've mentioned, and we'll probably say a thousand times, you know, the different facts and circumstances for each protection type is, is, you know, it's very fact dependent. And so that's why talking with someone early on can be really helpful. And then, you know, there's, there's other aspects, you know, if you make, a lot of promotional videos or really beautiful images that you put on your website and use to sell your products. Maybe you have copyright uh, 
ownership. You, you have copyrights in those images. So there's basically a lot of different ways you can protect various aspects of your business. Um, the only other thing I would mention here that sometimes people don't think about early that I think is really important is in addition to protecting, you know, your products and, and what you're actually selling and making sure that you own the rights in that and that other people can't use them. You want to protect your business. And, and one really important way to do that is to set up user-facing policies. So, you know, terms and conditions, um, terms of use, if you have an app or your, a website, um, privacy policy, if you're collecting personal information of your customers, it's going to be really important to be compliant with the various mm-hmm. laws there. And then, you know, a, one thing that we've seen a lot come up in, especially as the pandemic emerged is subscription model products where, you know, you want to be selling something for once a month, I pay a fee and I get something delivered to my home that I've sort of curated a list of your products. There are very robust laws around subscriptions, especially in the United States. Um, And so you want to make sure that you're, you're following all those rules. You know, the Federal Trade Commission just last year announced that it's going to be, you know, ramping up enforcement in that area. And, you know, the, the laws in that area, you can think of in kind of three high area, three high levels. You want to make clear disclosures. You want to make it very clear what the price is, when you're going to be charged, things like that. When, when can you cancel before you'll be charged again? All of those things you want absolute like informed consent. You want your users to expressly consent to whatever they're being charged for. And you want an easy and simple way to cancel. So those are kind of things that when you're thinking of, you know, protecting your formula, you're not necessarily thinking of this back end of once your users start buying it. And that's really important too. Yeah, totally get that. And a really important point about the subscription thing. I think a lot of people have kind of jumped onto that thinking, oh, it's okay. Everyone understands what's going on here. And it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? That at the start, you think, well, I'm doing this the right way. I'm doing it for the right reasons. Everyone understands what's going on. But I've seen this where, you know, someone signed up to, you know, say a, a payment plan or a, a membership and they, you know, they signed up with good faith and everything. And then six months down the line, they've sort of forgotten why they signed up or forgotten about it. They just see this payment coming out. Suddenly, you know, nasty emails get sort of fired off all over the place. And it feels terrible. And it's just like, if I'd have only thought about that in the first place and put those things in place to start with, you know, not only would I feel protected and okay and, and not stressed, but potentially the person I was selling to would would equally feel that way. Yeah, and it's such a good point. You know, it's exactly what you say. Coming up with ways to do this clearly is not just important legally, right? You want your customers to be happy. Yeah. And and the way that a lot of the way that subscription laws operate, I kind of think of it at the high level theme is are your customers going to be confused? Are they going to go, as you said, into their email, realize they've been charged for six months and then not going to be able to find a way to easily cancel? You know, that's going to be an issue for you. And so, and it's going to be an issue legally, but also that's a very unhappy customer, you know? And so you kind of want to be avoiding it on both counts. And I know I've been there where I've tried to cancel something that I cannot find. And it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, they go and they leave you a bad review and the world ends and it's all over. So, so yeah, stuff like that kind of think about it in the first place. That's exactly why you guys, you know, exist. And like you said, the, the happy law side of things, they come to you first because you know these things to think of. A lot of the time we can't think of these because we're the ones creating the stuff. Um, so I love that. So actually you made an interesting point there and I want to kind of expand on that, which brings us on to the next question happily. There was a lot of feeling when I asked these questions um, around, you know, well, even if I have a trademark or something like that, you know, what, recompense what rights what uh 
recourse does that actually give me? So the the, the kind of question I put in here was, um, <laughs> please don't take this the wrong way. It was like, you know, trademarking my company name, logo, and branding. Is there any point in doing this if someone copies me? What protection does it actually give me? Right. Well, that is a great question, and I think that that happens a lot of time with intellectual property law. Like, why? Why am I spending the money and why am I taking the time to do this? And really, um, you know, again, focused on the United States, it's important because having a federal trademark registration provides you with a lot of extra protections. Um, one of the most important being that after you file your application, the USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, ends up doing a lot of work for you meaning that if somebody files for an application for an identical or a similar name for similar product, they can block that application. And that's hugely beneficial because that's one less step that you have to do in order to protect your brand. Um, and also, if you do have to send a cease and desist letter, there's a lot of power behind saying we have a federally registered trademark and you need to stop. That federal trademark, at least in the United States, once you file it, gives you what's called in legal terms, constructive nationwide protection, which is a super fancy way of saying that it's just recognized across all of the U.S. Um, okay. So the U.S. is a little bit different in that we have trademark rights just by using the mark and not just by registering the mark. Most other jurisdictions, countries around the world, it's based on if you file the application first. And so, um, you know, that's part of your sort of trademark health check is where do I want to use my trademark? What countries do I think I'm going to sell in? What type of you know protection do I need? And um, as a trademark, we call them prosecutors, which sounds really fancy, like I'm a criminal, you know, defense, you know, <laughs> doing something criminally. But really, it just means prosecuting a trademark through the office. Um, yeah. So helping someone file and, and get that trademark through an IP office. So I have a very extensive worldwide network of trademark practitioners um, that I work with. And so part of what we do is not just you know, United States protection is that we reach out and we work with our council in other countries to help determine how can we help a company expand? How can we help a company move into the, you know, United Kingdom to European community, um, you know, into Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all of those uh, jurisdictions work together because really the internet is, is you know, worldwide. Um, so those are things that we help think about at the beginning. And in all of those countries, having an application on file, having a registration are going to allow you to potentially block other people from filing applications and provide you the ability to stop people. Um, you know, here in the United States, we have uh, the American rule, which just basically means that if you go to court, you've got to pay for your legal services, which is, I think, what makes America very scary for a lot of people um, in other countries, though. Um, you know, that's not the rule. The rule is that if you win, then the other side pays your fees. So, um, you know, I think in, in some instances, if you're not in the United States, that can seem like a very daunting task. We seem like a very litigious society. But, and I'm sure Sierra can jump in on this. If I do have a trademark dispute and I send a cease desist letter, I would say 98% of the time, that's where it ends. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that federal registration, that protection that you have uh, really can, can be a stopgap. Yeah. You know, stop people from using a similar mark. Um, 
And I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, the cost of it in comparison to other legal avenues is actually quite small. It might feel like a lot when you're starting out. It might feel like a lot to spend $2,000 to $3,000 protecting your trademark, but it's going to cost a lot more if you have to change your brand name, if you have to change your company yeah. name. If the, the human time behind being a brand owner and an entrepreneur, having to, instead of building your brand, deal with lawyers, deal with legal issues. It's just, it's not worth it. You want to focus your effort on building your brand. You want to focus your efforts on making sure that your customers know who you are and yep. that if somebody tries to enter your space, that you're going to be able to stop it and not confuse people into wondering, well, who who's this product from? I thought that this was your company and now it's somebody else's. And so Completely. that really is the power, the power behind it. Um, yeah. it, it's the power of being able to stop someone and to say, this is mine. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a stress cost in here as well. I think when, <laughs> when things start to go wrong and, and I know this myself, fortunately, I've never had, I've never had to send anyone a cease and desist myself, but there was a, an issue a couple of years ago, um, where, and, and this is another side of it as well. I'd quite unwittingly used uh, a trademarked hashtag at the time. Didn't even know you could trademark hashtags. But um, there was a, another podcast, um, and I'd I thought I'd seen this name, didn't realize it was a podcast, and I thought that's quite a good hashtag. I'll use that, as I'm sure we've all done. Um, so I used it on a couple of episodes, and then the next thing I know, I've got a cease and desist email. Um, uh, well, you know you've made it friends. then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some monster radar, yeah. But I was like, you know, straight away, I was like, I mean, I I stopped using it, but but there was like, you know, oh god, is am I going to get another letter? Is something else going to happen? You know, I, I wrote to the people and said, I'm very sorry, I didn't realize this was the case. But you know, there was there was certainly for a few days there was a, an amount of stress there that I really didn't like and could have done without. Um, yeah, so so I I can't imagine what being on the other side of that would be like. But um, yeah, definitely, this is great, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point of, you know, another thing that Olivia does is when you have a business name, or if you're going to use sort of a branding slogan that you want to hashtag, Olivia will search and see if other people have it, you know, and that that will also prevent um, you having to change it or eliminate it later. But the other point of that is, you know, cease and desist letters can sound really scary. And as a company, maybe you don't want to come off as a big bad guy, you know, and there are, there are many ways of telling someone to please stop using your product or to please stop using your product name. And so I think that's something else we do too. You know, I do a lot of trademark enforcement and there's a huge variety of the message you're sending. You know, if, if it's someone who's clearly trying to do it intentionally, the tone of that message is going to be very different than the example you just brought up, where clearly it may be an accident. Maybe someone's a fan of someone else's product and is using it to sort of say, oh, I really like your product. There's a variety of ways of dealing with that. But I think the point that Olivia made is that you have the ability to deal with it. And that's what's great. Perfect. This is great. Now... Moving on to quite a bit more of a specific question, actually, that's come up. And interestingly, it's come up again just in this last couple of weeks. Um, a lot more businesses and beauty business, probably more than any, have started working with influencers on various levels, micro-influencers, local influencers. And this is something that you guys kind of brought to my attention. There's all sorts of things around working with inf influencers. 
Um, so the, the kind of question that we put together on this is, with more and more companies doing their marketing and promotions on social media these days, what issues can come up with or should people think about when working with influencers? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to start this with an example that I just saw on TikTok. Okay. Awesome. Like, like everybody else, I really love watching TikTok videos. <laughs> I find them very entertaining. <laughs> um, but there was one a few days ago that blew my mind. All right. Then there was a girl, she came on, she said that it was her dream to be an influencer. And, you know, I think that that can be a really great job for someone who likes uh, working with brands, working with products, um, giving their opinions on, on things. But she talked about how she had finally decided after she had reached, I think it was like a quarter of a million followers, she was going to send her basically influencer resume to the top influencer agencies. And she said that she woke up the next morning and her inbox was full of emails from these companies saying, just go onto our site, pick five things that we'll ship them to you. Go here and we'll send you something for free. Um, do this and we'll send this to you for free. And she was like, this is my dream. And the lawyer in me just crumbled. I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Um, um, Alarm bells and, going on. <laughs> you know, and, and we will explain why. So um, one of the other things I do besides trademark work is I'm actually an advertising and marketing attorney. And I was in advertising and marketing prior to even becoming a lawyer. So lawyer is my second career. And from the marketing and advertising side, you're the influencer. They are, they are a part of your business. Once you decide that you want to hire a specific person to talk about your product or your service, you have essentially brought them in and they are giving out your message. Mm -hmm. um, and I think over the years, this has been going on for about 10 years since influencers started to really become prominent. Hmm. And I think the earliest examples that people can think of are celebrity endorsements, right? Yeah, so celebrities so. have always endorsed things. And you really never needed any kind of disclaimer is what we call them or any kind of indication hmm. that that celebrity was getting paid to promote a product. I mean, clearly they're being paid paid to promote the product. But the evolution of it over the last 10 years has really gone from celebrities into you know, the social media sphere where you, know, you mentioned micro-influencers. You might be working with somebody who's got this really niche, uh, specific thing that they like to talk about. Maybe, I don't know, you know, a specific type of clothing or maybe a specific type of makeup. And you want to hit that 10,000 micro-influencer group. And you want to employ this person to give that message. Well, those people's followers may not realize that you're partnering with this micro-influencer. And that's where the laws, at least in the United States, and definitely around the world, have really started to tighten because people just aren't going to be aware that that influencer is receiving something for free. They're receiving some kind of benefit in order to provide that opinion. And so in the United States, um, the Federal Trade Commission, we've mentioned it numerous times, but they have put out a lot of guidance to people who are influencers and to businesses who want to use, you know, quote unquote, normal people, regular people to promote their products. And um, I think a lot of businesses would be shocked 
to know that even something as it feels like simple or nothing is like a dollar off coupon should be disclosed. You've got a family member that's going to tout your product. They should disclose that they're a family member. You yourself are an owner and you are just talking about how awesome this product is, but you don't actually show that you're the owner or affiliated somehow. You need to disclose that. That's the big thing. They just want people to know that influencers aren't doing this out of the goodness of heart, right? Right. So it's not like a terrible downside. It's just, I guess it's, it's honesty. It's honest advertising, really. It's just saying, you know, we've teamed up with this person. We are paying or we are giving or we are doing something for this person. Um, I mean, how do you word right. that? Because you, you can't really turn around and go, I'm, I'm paying this person to say nice things about us. Because doesn't that kind of take away the whole point? <laughs> Well, for the business, it does. And I think that's the problem that you've seen, at least in the United States. I will say that it appears like in the United Kingdom, um, I love the great British baking show. And so I tend to follow all the people that are on it. And I notice, you know, as soon as they're done, they get a lot of sponsorship opportunities. And oh, yeah. all of their all of their social media starts with ad. I mean, it's very clear. They've got a lot of clear disclosures. Um and so I've noticed that at least with the great British baking show contestants. Yeah. But in the United States, uh, there's been, uh, the Federal Trade Commission has sent out hundreds of letters to businesses, to celebrities, to influencers saying, hey, you promoted this product and you never told your audience that you're being paid for it or that you received a free product. And um, it's a lot harder to enforce it in the States. I think, especially when you've got micro-influencers, the Federal Trade Commission can't you know, independently check every single person. So it's kind of like the pinky score method, like I promise I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, but as a business, you really do have to consider all of the issues. And I'll let Sierra jump in um, because setting up that agreement with your influencer and what that entails is incredibly important, especially to, as Sierra says, your health check to make sure that you don't end up in a situation where you've got some kind of litigation around an influencer that you hired. Well, this, this was going to be my next question. I'll let Sierra jump in. But yeah, presumably if you work with a, an influencer and like you said, they effectively are working for you, presumably then anything that influencer has done before or does in the future potentially has an effect on your business. Absolutely. And I, I have to laugh at us showing our American colors by referring to it as the Great British Baking Show, which is what it's called <laughs> here and not Bake Off. I did catch that and I do it myself. <laughs> oh, that's a great point because you can't do that here because there was actually a trademark issue. Exactly. So that's it's, all coming, <laughs> it's all coming back around. Yeah. Um, I actually but, wondered in my head, I was like, which one was it? I can't remember what the proper one is. So I said, I said the American one. So there we go. I think it worked perfectly. An example in real time. (laughs) But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Adam. I think that, you know, it certainly is a risk to your business if influencers aren't disclosing that they're receiving a benefit, you know, that something is promotional. And so as Olivia hinted, one really good way to eliminate risk there is to have agreements with the influencers. You know, you, you come up with a contract that says, here are the requirements that you're going to need to abide by in order for this relationship to work. Um, and that way, you know, if someone goes astray of that, you have certain remedies available to you. You know, you have a contract, you can stop working with that influencer. 
And, and, and this, by the way, is exactly what I, I know earlier you said, how do you even say that? How do you disclose this? It, it does largely fall to the influencer to disclose, right? And that's why on yeah, social media, we see hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored. Um, you know, it's a gray area um, or there's, there's sort of a large range of things to consider in terms of what is enough. Um, but that's certainly why you're seeing those messages. And because it falls to the influencer to disclose, you as a company should be thoughtful about what you're doing with the influencer to make sure they do what they're supposed to do. And so that's largely how how to deal with that. And and Olivia and I do a lot of that in terms of, you know, creating agreements, revising agreements. Um, but it's it, that is certainly a better approach than, you know, seeing that an influencer wants to work with you and saying, pick five products and we'll ship them to you with no yeah. other oh. strings attached, right? <laughs> so so that's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, circling back to this lovely influencer, now, now influencer on TikTok. So when I said that my like lawyer's spidey senses went off, it was because of what Sierra was saying. It, how is someone going to know she didn't just order those products on her own, right? Yeah. So let's say maybe... She, she really loves a, a product, decided to order them, unbox them. She's got no affiliation with the company. She just really likes doing that kind of thing and wants to try it. And if she had a history of doing that before, then the people that follow her may not realize suddenly that she's receiving these products. Um, so the ones that I see it do really well, for instance, there's a, a makeup influencer on TikTok. Her name's Michaela. I cannot remember her last name, but uh, she's got nine, 10 million followers on TikTok. And I think she's a really great example of how she built an audience on TikTok from receiving products. But the way that she discloses how she receives them is is very, very great. You know, she's she's not very great, not the best way to put it, but she, is, um, she discloses that she received it. It's on TikTok. She's got hashtags at the bottom. She's She's making sure that people know that she didn't just purchase those on her own. She received those products. She received them for free. She's trying them out. And then the most important thing that we haven't even touched on yet as an influencer is that you have to give your honest opinion about a product. You can't just receive a product and give a good review because that's what a company's told you to do. So if you're a company who wants to use an influencer, you cannot dictate that they only say good things about your product. No. Um, and it has to be an honest overview of the product. And you have to have actually used the product. Um, so that's another one that I think people, it might trip people up, is that you can't just send it to an influencer that's got a lot of followers and say, we don't need you to try this skin. Nice yeah. yeah. We don't need you to actually try the skincare regimen. We just need you <laughs> just to unbox it, hold it up. Say some nice things, give like, some money. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's that's actually really, really interesting. A friend of mine um, who I know would not describe himself as an influencer at all, but he's got over 100,000 people on his YouTube channel and he talks about um, camera equipment. And uh, once he got to a certain level of of this subscription on YouTube, I guess a lot of manufacturers track these things and uh, started just sending him stuff to the point where he was like, well, you know, uh, I'm not all about doing reviews, but occasionally I do. So he had to start sending an email back going, look, you've sent me this thing now. I will unbox it and play with it and everything, but you've got to know I'm going to give my honest review. 
if you'd rather that not be the case, let me know where I send it back to. And he did get a lot of people going, no, you're right, send it back to us. Because they just sent it thinking by giving free stuff that he was going to give a positive review. Whereas he was very honestly saying, no, I'll play with it. If I love it, I'll give it a great review. But if it's crap, I'll tell people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, you know, and I think a lot of brands too, especially when they're starting out, they may not even think about, well, what happens after they review this? Like, how are they allowed to use my brand and my trademark? in their materials is it going to stay on the social media side is it going to stay on youtube is it going to stay on instagram how long is it going to stay there for as a company you know you don't own that video that is a piece of intellectual property that's created by an influencer so one of the things that sarah and i do a lot is make sure that companies realize that they have to receive a license to use that video or sometimes they just outright pay for the right to use it and obtain all of the copyright rights um, because there's a bundle of rights that come with copyright to be able to reproduce it, to be able to make derivative works out of it. There's all sorts of things that you don't necessarily think about. And if, um, if you don't think about those issues early on, you might be caught with, oh my gosh, like this influencer, you know, they got to this huge fight with another beauty brand because I know that it's happened quite a bit where there have been beauty influencers who have, have bickered and there's been fallout and you know what rights you have to say hey now it's time for you to pull (laughs) off of your channel um you know and and so there's a lot of different uh scenarios that pop up and again when we're talking about why sometimes it's good to speak with an attorney or sometimes even influencer agencies are really good at this um they can walk you through a lot of the different issues that could pop up with uh with using an influencer and how you can utilize the influencer to the, you know, to the best of your ability um, and be able to retain the right to use the materials that they've created to promote your brand. Yeah, love it. As you were saying that, I was mentally reviewing my own sponsorship document in my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, I think this, this has been amazing, guys. It's been really, really interesting. I knew it would be. Um, and uh, I'm sure we could go on with questions forever. But... I think, I think the main point we're trying to get here is it's probably better in the long run to get the advice at the beginning from a lawyer than by the point something's gone wrong and you actually need it. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we, of course, appreciate that creating a business and creating a brand early on it, it takes a ton of resources. It can be very expensive. You're absolutely in a position where you can prioritize what areas, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things right now. And maybe early on, you really only have the budget to talk about A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z will come later. Even that, even even sort of targeting what are the most important things to me and thinking about those upfront can really be helpful. Totally. And I think, um, as with a lot of things, thinking you know about something, not even reaching out to a, a lawyer or a firm like yours and having a conversation in the first place, you're probably going to be an awful lot better off if you just have a conversation than just going, well, I'll not do that at all. And if I just bury my head in the sound, maybe it'll never happen kind of thing. No, I love that. Definitely. It's been great, guys. So um, I, I should say, like Olivia uh, mentioned earlier on, although you're based in the US, you work internationally, um, which yeah. must, must be a nightmare for you guys having to keep up with all the different uh, differences in international law. But you do work internationally. You have clients all over the world. Um, so if anyone is interested after this conversation, would like to speak to someone, you can absolutely uh, reach out to you guys. Now, your uh, website, if I get this right, is 
Ty's Law, which is tyzlaw.com, or I believe you can go to beautyandwellness.law, which will redirect you to the website and you can find out more about you guys. Thank you so much for your time and expertise on the show today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Uh, You're very, very welcome. And uh, I'm sure that after this episode, we'll probably get some more questions and I might have to ask you guys back again. (laughs) We would (laughs) love to. uh, Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you. Well, it's been wonderful speaking to you guys. Uh, Have an amazing rest of your day. And uh, thank you again. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. How cool was that? Now, when I first thought about doing a legal episode, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. But I hope you'll agree with me that that was pretty fun, very eye-opening, and more than a little bit enlightening. Now, it certainly opened my eyes, like I said, to things I'd never fully appreciated before and how just a little bit of forethought and planning can save huge potential headaches and heartaches and stress further down the road. Now, I would love to hear what you thought about the show today because it was a bit of a different one. Now, I can see Olivia and Sierra coming back on the show at some point to possibly tackle other questions generally, of course. So let me know what you thought. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you are listening to me on, or you can just ping me an email with your thoughts and other legal-based questions you'd like discussed to adam at beautybusinesspodcast.com. And like we mentioned there, if you want to reach out to Sierra and Olivia directly, you can either visit their website or to make your life easier, just go to beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash law L-A-W, law, or click the link in the episode description or on the show notes pages, which as always, you can find at beautybusinesspodcast.com. Okay, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll see you again right here in your ears next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Beauty Business Podcast. My name is Adam Chatterley. And if you've enjoyed this show today, then you must make sure you don't miss another episode. Just click subscribe in whatever podcast application you are listening to this on to be notified when a new episode is released. And if you'd like even more help starting, growing or scaling up your beauty business, then just go to beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash help. And there are a number of resources right there to entertain, enlighten and assist you in your business journey, no matter what stage you're at. 